Pushkin. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member, FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan, Chase & Co. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 2024 Santa Fe, available early 2024. Even if you've only listened to Broken Record a few times, you've likely heard Rick Rubin absolutely gush about Neil Young. Neil's been on the show three times now, and his legendary body of work has been brought up by more musicians interviewed on this show than likely anyone else except for maybe Joni Mitchell. That's because Neil is a true artist. He's been writing and singing songs since the early 60s, and his creative output has been near constant, and in my opinion, virtually flawless for the last six decades. Neil recently stopped by Shangri-La following the release of Crazy Horse's latest album, World Record. The album was produced by our own Rick Rubin, and on today's episode, Neil talks to Rick about the remarkable way the new songs were conceived. Neil also reminisces about recording after the gold rush and harvest, and he explains how THC changes his relationship to music. This is Broken Record, liner notes for the digital age. I'm Justin Richmond. Here's Rick Rubin and Neil Young. Thank you so much for coming and talking to me today. It's hey, my favorite thing. It's a favorite of mine too, Rick. We're like a couple of birds of a feather here. And uh, sitting here in your studio, this beautiful place that I was in almost 50 years ago with Robbie and Rick. Tell me about that. Well, you know, the board was smaller. It was a quad eight. It was up against the wall more that way. There mm -hmm. was no area here. Mm -hmm. It was a little too crowded, but it wasn't bad. We had a good time. You know, I wasn't making music with them or anything. I was down here with, uh, I was with Bob. He was in here. Dylan was in here and I played him a couple of songs. I played him uh, Cortez, and he, he liked Cortez. And, you played and, in the recording, or you played it for him No, live? I just played it, just played it. On the know, guitar? Yeah, in a little room down there. Yeah. And I was playing it for him, and I played it. And then I played him, uh, you know, I mean, I the guy is so great. I just had to play these songs. So I played <laughs> this other song. Uh, it's called Hitchhiker. And it's uh, it, it's a song about every drug I ever took. 
And it tells a story of, you know, being straight and, get, you know, just everything all the way through it, chronologically through this whole long story. And at the end of the song, he said, he looks at me, he goes, that's a very honest song, Neil. And that was it. It was, wasn't good. It wasn't bad, but no, it was honest. but it was honest. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> Have you seen his new book? Yep. It's cool. Yeah, I started listening to the audio version of it. It's really cool. I'd like to listen to the audio. Did he do it? He did parts. He did parts and a bunch of guests. But it's cool. It's cool the way it's put together with the different people and his voice. Cool. Yeah. It's amazing. I've been doing interviews, you know, for yeah. the record. Yeah. I don't usually do interviews like this, but I love this record. I love it so much, and I want people to know that I'm alive. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a very basic thing. Well, I haven't heard from Neil Young in a long time. Is, where is Neil Young? What happened? Well, I, I stopped playing a couple of years ago, and uh, so I haven't been anywhere. There's been three farm aids in a row I've missed, and uh, the same with the bridge school and all that. But uh, I don't really miss it that much. I like playing music. I made a lot of records. Yeah, I've made many records during that period of time, three brand new ones and, you know. <laughs> So I feel really good about that. What's the longest you've ever gone not playing with Crazy Horse? Probably a year and a half or something. So it's... Max. It's been a, a constant in your life for yeah. 50 years? Yeah. Amazing. Since 1970, 69, 70. When you write new songs, do you always know in advance whether this is something you want to record with Crazy Horse or not? No, I really don't. I don't, but usually, you know, I'm hanging out with them when I write it, and, you know, it's just a... Happens. Like a song that I would... Anything that's spacey, anything that's got any cosmic vibe to it at all, it's got to be Crazy Horse, because that's the loosest that, that it can be. Yeah. And uh, simple and loose, and that's what I like. When you play with other musicians, does it change the way you play? Oh yeah, how how does it? Work? I don't know. I, I I but I I'm different. I don't. It's not the same as playing with the horse. Yeah. I mean, I've become. I think I just I, I play the song and I deliver the song and I try to immerse myself in it. I playing with Promise of the Real is a lot of fun, and uh, we even did some stuff here in this studio that was pretty cool. And uh, there's one that I laugh in. I don't know what the what I'm laughing in it, and we recorded it right here at Shangri La. And it has to do with uh, going to a fair or a circus or something. And uh, it's wild. Do you always know what the songs are about when you're writing them? No. Usually I don't even care. I, don't, I, I just yeah. start, you know. Yeah. And with the new songs on this record, there, there's, no, there's no thinking. I mean, everything was just uh, the flow. It was just all. I wasn't trying to do anything. That's why it was so special. I, that's why I think it came out the way it did, because there's no there's no preconception of it. I remember when you first talked to me about it before before we recorded it. You, you explained that the melodies came in a way that none had ever come to you before. Yeah. They were delivered. They came through me whistling while I was walking, and I realized as I was walking along that I was whistling a different song every day because I go on these long walks every day uh, through the forest and stuff in the snow and just whistling along and then 
I remembered, wow, I really had a nice melody I was whistling yesterday, and I could hardly bring it back. And I, because I was whistling a new melody, and I, that's what made me think, wow, it was a different melody from yesterday's melody. What was that melody? And I liked it. And as I approached the part of, of, of my walk that was the same place I remember sing, whistling it, I remembered it. So, so I remembered cool. it, and then I started whistling it again, and I got out my flip phone and recorded it on my flip phone, but I used a movie, you know, so I got this partly my thumb and partly the sky <laughs> and some trees going by and dogs running and footsteps and stuff, but I'm whistling along with it. That's how I got all those melodies, and every day after that I kept walking, and most days I'd have a new mel- melody, and I'd just pull out the phone and... I even had harmony parts or bass parts and things like that that I put on the phone, too, that I imagined them, you know, like on that one, uh, The World is in Trouble Now, mm-hmm. I, there's a bass part, and we went through it in the studio. Remember, it was like, yeah. wow, this is a part. We have an idea. Yeah. It was like, because none of the other ones even had that. No. At what point did you realize this could be a collection of songs to record? Well, you know, I was. it was last April... And I was uh, thinking, I had that song, Break the Chain, which I wrote before I did my previous album, Barn. I wrote that just as COVID started. And it was about COVID. So when I was walking in the same general area, but this time I'm walking and I'm writing the words on a piece of paper and the melody's really kind of a blues melody. So you can't, you know, you don't need to write it or whistle it or anything. You kind of know it from the... From, I, I just remembered it. So I did that. And then later that winter, I was in Canada. And I have a piano there that was in the house I was in. And and I wrote Chevrolet on the piano, which is interesting because it's this huge, long guitar song. I did it totally on the piano over the period of about a month where I'd pass by on the piano and stop and play a minute and then keep on going and well, I was there the last time I noticed all the lyrics are still sitting there on the piano. And uh, it reminds me I should get those. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah, they did. And then the other eight. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, hey, I'd like to make a record. That'd be fun. Horses available. And uh, I said, I don't have any songs. And I thought, I, I need songs. Then I started thinking, uh, wait a minute. I got all those melodies whistling. And then I got the flip phone out and recorded all of the recordings from the flip phone. I put the phone down on top of the computer and made another movie of just the, you know, the quick. So high res duplication. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the, the phone is sitting speaker on to the a keypad, microphone. Yeah. And the, yeah, there's the, no the, wires. The phone speaker to the microphone <laughs> of the computer. So I put it down and I remember, and I I copied all of the whistling and there were like fifty eight tracks of whistling, wow. but I had multiple tracks for each song and each day was different. Mm-hmm. And so I had to organize it and then I found out at the end I had nine, maybe ten or eleven different melodies, and eight of them seemed to be pretty darn close to you know a whole thing melody wise, mm-hmm. but to just whistling. No idea what the chord changes are. No idea, no instrument. So that's really different for me, to have the whole melody and be sitting there writing words to a melody and uh, not knowing 
the chords or the anything. The chords or the instrument or anything. Yeah. So when I did that in two days, I wrote all of the words. <laughs> it, it sounds funny. It you is know, funny. It happened so fast. And I never rewrote anything. I never fixed anything. Everything came out right the first time. And that's very rare. You never, never like that. But it was like that this time. So you got these two unheard of things that I'm, you know, for me, yeah. that I'm doing. And then I had to figure out what instrument to do it on and what the chords were. And as I was doing that, it was easy for me to make a uh, a video of a verse and chorus for Billy. So he'd have the changes for the bass. Understood. So I'd do a FaceTime video thing to him, which I, I, I don't know how I did it. I think I did a quick time file and then I sent it to him or something. But I, I just did that. At 6 o'clock in the morning, I'd get up and I'd go to the organ and put the computer down, press record, and play what it was that I thought it was with the one verse and one chorus. So we used those things too in the movie. Cool. So we got the whistling in the movie and then, then that, and then the studio. And then we're in, and then we do it with the band. So we have the evolution of these melodies. It's so cool that it can't, you know, that it just came. It was wacky. Yeah. You can't, you can't, you, you can tell that it's mindless when yeah. you see the footage. It's, it's crazy. And when you listen to the, our experience of listening to the album has been every, every time I hear it, I hear different things than I heard before. Yeah. Or if I hear something that sounds wrong, and then go back and listen to it again, that's gone. That happened with us several times, didn't yeah. it? We'd have a thing, we'd, we'd be together, and we'd hear something, and we'd glaring. say, okay, well, something glaring. Yeah. And something then you go, happened. Yeah. Well, I'll, we'll fix that. Well, make a, you know, make a note. We'll come back. And the next day, we come back, and we couldn't find it. No. So it's remarkable. The whole it, process was yeah. strange. Yes, it the was. The whole process was strange. Really different. It was like a gift was like a gift for us. We didn't have to do any work. Yeah. We just, you know, we thought of, we both made records yeah. for years and we both like making records and yeah. we love music and we know about the, the, the ways of making records, <laughs> things that we do, you know, like with me, it's like occasional double tracking one line or a couple of words or something like that to punch them out a little. So I just kind of sing along and sing a little more when I want it and a little less when I don't and so you understood that right away and bang when i said let's do a double track it wasn't like I, i'd go in and i'd do it and it was like i was only singing part of the time and kind of half singing the rest of the time but it was cool it wasn't like hey well you know try to sing the whole thing <laughs> that never happened yeah so the only, we, the only purpose i think you ever double tracked anything was if you couldn't understand hear or understand the words yeah the first time because it's so loud in the room when you're playing and you're singing live with the band yeah it, it's hard to get the yeah every, to every hear little the words. nuance yeah so we we picked out a couple of things and and backed them up and and mixed it in and and it came out really great i'm just really happy with the record i th it's one of my if it's one of my favorite processes and the, the music is some of my favorite music I've ever made. I mean, wow, I, I listen so to great. it. It's good. It's I, really I can't good. And it. it's really the way that it happened was so magical. Even after the way that it happened to you. Yeah. Once it got to the studio, it was weird. Yeah. It, it, it's like the, I remember the first week the band was learning the songs and the feeling I got by the end of the first week was 
they might not ever be able to play the songs. Right. That was the feeling. It was like, <laughs> this is like not really happening. Yes. <laughs> and then I thought, okay, well, they played through everything, even though they, they couldn't play them. Mm-hmm. They played through them, so probably next week's going to be better because now it won't be the first time. Yeah. And then, and I remember when you called out the song to start the second week with, and Ralph said, "Well, we already played that one. Why would we play that?" And, <laughs> and then we went back and we listened to it, and it was pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> Ralph was right. Ralph was right. Turns out, yeah, it's crazy. We we didn't think we got anything no, the first it, week. It, it turns out think, we got. I think maybe the whole album was recorded when we didn't think any <laughs> yeah, of it. Yeah, we was didn't recorded. think anything was happening. Yeah, and, uh, and it is we, cer- certainly nothing like that's ever happened to me before. No, for I, sure, I, nothing like that. No, I'm I'm used to the horse getting things on the first or second take. Yeah, but this was like I had no idea. You didn't what, know the songs. No, I didn't know the songs. I was learning how to play it on the pump organ or on the piano, and because uh, I did want to play guitar. Remember, we'd say to Nils, you know, Nils, that sounds like a guitar lick, you know, and we yeah. don't really don't want to hear. Yeah. You know, we know it's great, and yeah, you play but it, it great. But it made it sound perfect. ordinary when. Yeah, yeah but when we, when we heard it, it was like we really don't want to hear a guitar. And yeah. then on one or one or two songs, I mean, you can hear it in the room. Yeah. <laughs> but you only thing we featured was between the riffs yeah. where it'd be a clunk and a, a scratch on the thing and you know the pick guard so all these weird sounds that he was making as he was playing between when he played his thing yeah and we take his thing off and just leave the other things up real loud yeah 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 we t- we took out the playing and left the noises in between yeah so you it would go from the noises to the leakage of something <laughs> to it it was like we broke every rule it was crazy. It was fun. And we were enjoying it very much. It and it seemed good. normal. I mean, it's, no, but it sounded good. It's like, yeah. you can't argue with the sound. It's like, no, if it can't. sounds good, it's right. You no. know? Yeah, it was wild. <laughs> and then we got, what was that one? Uh, I think it was The Wonder Won't Wait, or either that or The World Is In Trouble Now. One of those two where I was, I, I we started doing the harmonica through the octave divider <laughs> with the organ on certain notes. To create this instrument that was like, and I get you kind of picture who are these guys playing these instruments because I don't even know what that kind of instrument that is. No. It sounded like a, a, a old organ, but with an electric funky uh, part of it. Like yeah. two or three notes were just jamming. <laughs> and it was weird. Yeah, it wasn't working exactly properly either. I don't. I don't think that no, nothing was. <laughs> that fictional instrument was not at its best. <laughs> no. No, it wasn't, but it didn't matter. No. Uh, so, you know, we had a blast. We had a really good time. The time of a lifetime, actually. I, I, don't, <laughs> I, 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 I There's nothing I can look at that compares to it. Everything yeah. else is, they're all great, and yeah, there's yeah. a lot of really cool things that we did. Yeah. And, that you know, that I did with, uh, with Crazy Horse in the past and everything. And the stuff we did in the studio in the 90s was cool, too. I mean, I've still got that and actually getting ready to put it out in the archives because some of it's really cool. Yeah. There's a couple of really cool songs there, but they're not like this. (laughs) This was, what is this? Yeah, it's definitely new music. Yeah. It's new, very old music. Yeah, very old new music. It's something that's like, Uh, the song sounded like a uh, folk songs from the 40s or yeah, something they sound like songs somebody, from before you ever wrote songs yeah, somebody else wrote these first and here yeah. i am and 
and uh, I don't know, he kind of got osmosis or something. That it's strange. It, it really is, man. It is so we gotta, we just gotta be thankful because we got a gift, and we will find out if other people think so. Yeah. Either I mean, way, I think it matter. works out fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, we got to experience it. And we like, did. I'm glad people get to hear it. Yeah, I am too. And, and then I, it, whatever they think is fine. Yeah, I think they're gonna <laughs> like it. I've got a couple of reactions from people who are like, "Whoa." <laughs> whoa and i'm going well you know it's it's me and crazy horse and and we're just doing what we do and if you listen to it that way you can say that's what it is but the fact that i only play guitar on what three songs i think yeah. oh i did overdub a note or two on another song that's chords power chords yeah. that i put on one of but the they organ don't, songs. It, i don't think it ever really sounds like guitar no no we had a great time <laughs> we we ought to be thankful yeah, Let's it's be so thankful. cool. So cool. Have, have any new songs come to you since? No. Do, do they typically come in, in bunches like that over the course of your life? Well, there's nothing typical about this bunch, but usually what happens is as soon as I finish an album, I'm starting to think about other things and other music starts coming in my head. Finishing this album, not being able to play it and have it come out for six months after we finished it yeah, because of the way things are with vinyl and everything else that was very weird but i haven't got any new songs i have not thought of any new songs all i think of is the songs that we did yeah. and for months i was yeah. still listening to it yeah and i'm going what am i doing listening do you, to this you, i did this could you imagine how you would play these songs live because it it kind of is its own thing i don't even know how you do it live i don't know either but we did it live. Yes. <laughs> no, I know that. <laughs> so weird. Yes. I just can't imagine that they would sound, you know, pump organ, electric guitar, bass and drums, pump organ, accordion. But I think they'll they probably would sound good if we if we got to do them. We'll see what happens. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah. I, I'd be curious to see what that is. Yeah, I would be too. I, I would be. But things move along and they move on, you know, and uh, Nils is, you know, Nils is part of the E Street Band. Mm -hmm. So Bruce is probably going on the mega tour. So Nils is gone. Mm -hmm. And Nils is, is like, what? I'm, I, I, I can't be in two places at once. Yeah. Because he was, you know, really into this. I mean, we were all really into it. Yeah. So I, actually, I, I, feel, I feel for Nils a little bit because... I know he wants to be here with us, but you know he's he's with Bruce, and that's Bruce has been there for him for years and years, and that's an old old thing now. It was amazing to me that you played with Nils before Bruce did. I didn't, I wasn't aware of that until this. Oh yeah, this project. Nils is on After the Gold Rush. Wild. Yeah, he plays piano on After the Gold Rush, and uh, and you wanted him to play piano because he couldn't play piano. Is that correct? Yeah. <laughs> well. He played accordion. Right. So I knew he could play piano. Right. And I knew, you know, he's a music, he's, he's everything, you know. So I just didn't want him to sound like he really knew what he was doing. So sure of himself, you know, because mm -hmm. that wouldn't go with everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> we had a good time. Huh? It's amazing that you found guys who you can play with for 50 years and still sound like maybe it's not going to happen. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, Nils is a great, great musician, and uh, we'll miss him uh, when he's out there with Bruce, but he'll be back. For sure. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll just wait around. We'll see what happens. 
And uh, if I do anything else in the meantime, I've asked Micah, Micah Nelson, and and he'll step in and be with the horse. Great. So, you know, we're ready to rock if we decide to go out. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with Rick Rubin and Neil Young. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change, and certain restrictions may apply. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member, FDIC, copyright 2024. J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. We're back with more from Rick Rubin and Neil Young. Is it different writing a song on guitar versus piano for you? You know, they're all the same. It's just wherever I am and whatever it is. I, I, I don't have much method. I just, I'm just there doing it, and I never try. I only do it if it happens. Mm-hmm. If if I hear a melody and I start seeing a keyboard or a guitar or listening, then I'll pick it up and try it, and then I'll stay with it until I don't hear it anymore. Usually that's how a song arrives. But in the last six months since we finished this, I haven't heard anything. Mm-hmm. But over the course of your life, there's been no rule of how and when no. it comes. It just no comes rules. when it comes. At first it was all guitar because I could hardly play piano. At at any point, did you practice piano? Like, did you decide, I want to be able to play piano more? Yeah, when I was in high school, there was a piano downstairs, and we lived in a triplex, 
and my mom and I were on the top floor. And then in the basement, there were some college guys. Outside of their room was a piano. So the piano wasn't really in their room. It was at the bottom of the stairs. Understood. And then, then you went into their room. But it, so felt, like their, there. it felt like their space? Yeah, or kind no? of. But I, that's how I, I learned to play, uh, what's the name of that song by uh, the Marquis? Not Last Dance. Uh, something. Let me check. Marquis. Yeah, the Marquis. Let me check. Maybe I can even play it. Let's see. Anyway, I learned how to play that on the piano in kind of a very vanilla fashion because they were pretty funky. What the heck's the name of that song? I think they might have been from New Orleans. Last Night? Last Night, that's it. Let's see. So would you have heard that on the radio? Yeah. So I learned how to play that on the piano. That's the first song I learned how to play. And it sounds like if you could play that on the piano, you could play a lot of songs because yeah. it was a lot of songs that I can play now. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically all I know how to do. <laughs> Luckily, a lot of songs go like that. Yeah, they do. <laughs> yeah. Now, that was fun. So that's how I started when I was in high school playing a piano on that thing. Yeah. Just thinking about the, uh, the process of having a melody and figuring out chords. Did you figure out all the chords using the pump organ or or different instruments to, fi- to find them? Pump organ was mostly what I used. Sometimes the upright piano. The song uh, Chevrolet, I learned on the guitar from the piano. And then the other song that I did was uh, Break the Chain. And I just played that on guitar because it was, you know, obviously a guitar song but uh really the first time i played it was when we played it and that's the one that's in the record yeah you can tell it's it's we just pick up the beat in the beginning it kind of finds itself yeah and that was the first time we played it we played it a few times after that but none of them were anything like that yeah i mean they were good we got through it yeah but it wasn't like that that one that is a thing that normally you know how to play the song and the band maybe has never heard it. Yeah. So they can follow you because you're solid and they're they're right. accompanying your performance. Yeah, and then but we get the, it. Yeah, but in this case, you don't really know the songs because right. you, you didn't write them the way they normally come. No, but both Chevrolet and, uh, and the other song that we were just talking about, both those songs, Break the Chain and Chevrolet, they're both take one. Yeah, I mean Chevrolet. We did six more versions after that. Yeah, but they weren't better. They than weren't that like one. they weren't better than that one. Yeah, there were a couple of minutes and a couple of the other ones. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting thing too. That sometimes you got to go past it to know which they is the one. Like yeah. you, you never, yeah, you really never know. know until you go. You got to go by it exactly and experience. Well, this isn't as good as that was. Yeah, and we know from past experience that coming in the next day and trying it again doesn't work. Yeah. That hardly ever works with me. Yeah. We try to get it. I try to get them so I know the songs well enough to do them. Mm-hmm. And so I had all the lyrics. I had everything done. You know, everything was ready. You know, I yeah. wasn't, you know, Chevrolet was a big song with a lot of changes. Yeah. And I jammed on the changes with the band for a while without singing it. Mm-hmm. You know, we did that before we played it. And then the, the good thing about that is, you know, when you start playing the stuff, 
and you're playing it, it's the first time. It's the first time I heard it. Yeah. And the first time they heard it, and we were all playing it together, and it just grows. And there's something there. There's something to that that I really enjoy, and that's the way I try to make records. There's definitely an excitement when you don't know what it's going to be. When you get to hear it, yeah, and it's exciting, it's got to go into your playing. You know, it, you yes. have to play it differently when you're feeling the thrill of experiencing it for the first time. Yeah, like in Chevrolet, when we get to the second instrumental after the intro and then the first verse, and it comes back. And this is now we're three and a half, four minutes into the song. Yeah. And it's the first repetition happens. Yeah. And so you figure it's got three verses. So it's like, you know, it you know it's going to be a journey. So we started playing that, and I was playing the guitar riff, and, and I can hear it. And I'm going, this is cool. This is good. And and we just keep doing them and just advancing along. And it's like a long trip in a car. You know, sometimes the road is great. Sometimes it's not. <laughs> yeah, it's real. It's real. Yeah. It's real. That's why I think that hangs in there for whatever, 15 minutes. Yeah. It's also after like some of the solo sections are so long and deep that when you come back in singing... It's strange, like that. This, there's still there's a song going there, on still, because we've. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like we, and it's a new verse. It's, it's like wow, there's still a song. Yeah, because yeah. we're we've gone a long ways away. Yeah, that's right. That's a special. It's a special one that song because of that. The verses are over two minutes each verse. That's a long verse. Yeah, and you know, and that came from writing it on the piano and developing all the chord changes and i just didn't feel like it was time to repeat anything i didn't want to go back i wanted to keep on going and the parts are cool like yeah one part after another it's like cool part then another cool part and another cool part if you don't analyze the music of it it doesn't feel strange or like uh -uh. it's long it doesn't feel long no it doesn't it just flows really naturally yeah we were lucky we were very fortunate we got a gift that's how i look at it and we're good we're in the right place at the right time at what, at what point in your life would you say you listened to the most music? Probably I'd say I listened more in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. You think because it was just new to you? Yeah, I think so. I used to like to listen to things over and over again and hear them. Now I, I just, uh, if I hear it once, I know, you know. And it, But these songs, mm -hmm. I like to listen to over and over again. Yeah, I think because it's so abstract what's going on i mean it's a funny way to describe it because it's they, they are as songs it's they're pretty straight straightforward ahead. songs pretty straight ahead yeah but for some reason the the paintings of them are pretty abstract yeah yeah i don't know how that happened man i yeah. just i just know that we're we're here and we were all together and i remember i'd look at ralph after we finished because that's the barometer you just look at ralph and you can tell whether you got it or not and it's not because he's going, hey, that was great. It's not like that. No. It's a body thing, you know. And uh, <laughs> at the end of Chevrolet, it ends. And then there's a break and nobody's saying anything much. And then Ralph says to Billy, how long was that song? <laughs> and Billy looks at Ralph and goes, not long enough. <laughs> <laughs> It's crazy. Yeah, it's still high school for a crazy horse. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's unbelievable. <laughs>
And then, oh yeah, and then somewhere in there, Ralph Ralph told uh, Nils, he said, you know, I think you're playing a little timid. <laughs> and Nils went off, timid? What? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's funny. But only in a, you know, yeah. in a high school kind of group way yeah. <laughs> would you have these comments and, you know, this shit. And it's all so real with these guys. So It's amazing. I enjoy it, man. I really, truly do. I'm glad we got to share that. Is there ever a time with so with the songs that happen over the course of your life where when you're writing them, you don't really know what they're about? Is there ever a time later where it's like, oh, maybe this is about this? Do you ever have uh, insights into the songs later? No, I really don't. <laughs> I don't have any insights into That's the songs. Great. That's fine. I, the one song I was thinking of when you started saying that was I, I did a song called Will to Love. Yep. And uh, I did it on on a cassette player, a Sony cassette, sitting on the hearth of a fireplace with the fire burning. And I'm sitting there in the middle of the night playing my guitar and playing this song, which I just had written, which I was writing. Mm -hmm. So I wrote the words and had them all written out, and then I started playing it. And I only did it once, and that was it. And then a couple of months later, I was here in Malibu uh, up on... Uh, at Indigo Ranch. Yeah. I was up there with Briggs, and uh, we did the recording up there of where I overdubbed all the other instruments. You know, I played drums, I played bass. In a certain area, suddenly kind of a jazz band comes, joins in and plays for maybe four or five, six bars and then stops. It's very weird. It's like a big sketch, the whole thing. And I so I sketched in background vocals that I couldn't sing the same thing at two parts at the same time, but I knew they had to be there for it to make sense. And the song was about a fish, a, a fish swimming, a salmon trying to make its way up the river. So I, I really didn't know what I was singing about, but it was just that the, the salmon had the, had the will to love. The salmon wanted to go and get to this place. And that's, that was it. So that's, that's the whole thing. What was it like working with Briggs? Briggs was great. Briggs is a lot like you. <laughs> he was. You guys are very similar. Briggs is different. Yeah. You know, he's definitely an own, his own unique guy. Yeah. But he wasn't shy about what he knew how to do. Wasn't shy about organizing things, telling people what to do. And, uh, well, Briggs was a good engineer. Yeah. He was at, at the board at Hyder all the time when we recorded it on Selma and Coenga there. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we recorded Everybody Knows. He was at the board. He was at the board during my first album. And we went out and I remember him recording uh, somewhere out in Glendale. There was a pipe organ in a building. And I used it on a song called I've Been Waiting For You. Yeah. And we went out and recorded that pipe organ. I love that song. That's, that's an amazing thing. Great and then song. we came back to Hyders and, and we did that whole trip with it. But Briggs is great. Briggs is great. And, and, you know, so I look at you two guys are like brothers, as far as I'm concerned. Brothers who never met. How did you first meet Briggs? I was walking down Topanga Canyon Boulevard, old Topanga, on my way to go to the uh, canyon kitchen to have breakfast. And I'm walking along, and uh, this uh, World War II Army vehicle drives by. And it stops in front of me. And I walk up to it, and there's two guys in there. And one guy says, you want a ride? I said, sure. 
I'm just going down to the Canyon Kitchen. Then we'll give you a ride down there. So that's how I met him. Had you ever recorded at this point? Oh, yeah. I made the Buffalo Springfield records. Uh, I had not made my first solo record. Mm -hmm. I was at the point where the Springfield was breaking up. Mm -hmm. And I was uh, living at uh, a girl's house. Linda Stevens was her name. And uh, it was around a mile and a half walk from where she was to that place. And somewhere along there, along comes this old, you know, it's like, it's not like a Humvee or something. It was, but it was an open military vehicle. Yeah, sounds like great. Like a giant Jeep, huge, yeah, yeah. big tires and everything. And uh, it was Briggs and somebody else. I can't remember who it was. But that's how we met. And then on the way back, uh, they they showed me where they li- where he lived. He took me in there and I, and I looked at it and I said, wait, this is where Stills used to live. And Stills was having a party out there We were, and we all got busted. That's so we ended up going to jail for smoking weed. And uh, we all got, you know, we got out and everything was okay, but uh, that's the Springfield days. Then Briggs is living there and I recognize the place. And so I'm going, hey, I've been here before. And then, uh, you know, I would, since he was just down the road, I'd go visit him. And he was doing Murray Roman. I don't know Murray Roman. He was a comedian. <laughs> and Briggs was recording him. And he also was uh, getting, I think he recorded Spirit's first album. Oh, cool. And, uh, you know, so he was doing stuff like that, just getting started. And we, uh, we just started talking about making records. And we made my first record and... Uh, Many, many more after that. Was it obvious when the band broke up that you wanted to make solo records as opposed to putting together a new band? Yeah, I wanted to do solo because I didn't want to be hindered by, held back by other things. Other opinions. Yeah, I had a lot of ideas. Too many songs, not enough time. Did you feel held back in Buffalo Springfield? Not really. That was a great band. I just had more songs than I could put in the band. Understood. Because there were, you know, Stephen was writing, Richie wrote, and I was writing, and uh, Bruce and Dewey didn't write, but I, I could write enough songs for an album myself in the time that it would take the Springfield to get ready to record an album. Understood. So I, I wrote a lot of songs. Do you fast. remember um, the first time you heard Crosby, Stills, and Nash? I think it was after that record came out. I listened to some of it. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and I said, because Stephen, I always miss Stephen. I'm going, what's Stephen doing, you know? And I could hear him, what he was doing. I could hear he was producing and playing a lot of instruments and doing that. And I could hear that in the tracks for the first CSN album. And uh, I knew he could do that. But I liked playing with him live better. Yeah. He's a great musician. Yeah. He had a lot of great ideas. And he had big, big ideas. Big Beautiful ideas. Yeah, he was, he was an amazing talent. A lot of respect for Stephen. Do you feel like he would push you to be better? Or was his greatness something that would make you better? Oh, definitely. He was just so naturally good. Yeah. And his singing was great. What a singer. He was learning how to play guitar and singing great and learning how to play piano, and, and he just never stopped growing, just kept growing, and uh, that was a lot of fun. How did you end up joining that band? The CSN band? Yeah. Stephen came out and asked me if I wanted to join, and 
and uh, do a CSMY thing because they wanted to go on the road. And, and uh, I think Ahmed had uh, suggested to Stephen that Stephen and I play really well together. And if that was happening, that would hold the whole thing together. So they never toured without you? No. I don't think that would have happened. It might have happened. Yeah, but the history is they put out an album, then decide, okay, if we want to play live, it'd be better to do it with you. Yeah. (laughs) And then you play live with them. And did you play songs from the first album live? I didn't play live with them until after we'd done Deja Vu. Wow. So they never toured for their first album? I don't think so. That's amazing. amazing. We went right in and did another one. Wow. Although we did, I think... The Greek theater was, I remember doing I've Loved Her So Long, which was on my first mm-hmm. solo album. I did it with Graham Nash, but I don't remember doing Helpless. So maybe we hadn't done Helpless yet. Might have been one gig. Yeah. You know, before we got out there and and recorded Deja Vu. But I'd have to look on, if I looked at my archives, I'd be able to figure it out right away. Because Woodstock, the gig happened in between right at that time also mm-hmm. so that'd be the separator i think woodstock was between deja vu and csn but it was also one of the first times i ever played with csn so if it was that i was playing with them live before we did deja vu that'd be a gig in chicago maybe the that gig at in la at the greek theater and uh a Chicago auditorium gig, and uh, then Woodstock. I think that's all we did. So I may not, when we did Woodstock, we may not have recorded Deja Vu yet because Woodstock, the song, is on Deja Vu. Yeah. Joni wrote it after Woodstock. Yeah. So that's probably the chronology. Do you remember what it was like recording the Deja Vu album at all? We recorded a lot of it up in San Francisco at Hyder's, and uh, it was pretty cool. It was fun. Good to be playing with Steven again. Yeah, great to be playing with Steven again, and in in the studio. And Those guys were great, and they were great in the studio. I think that was about the time that uh, that Crosby started getting into the free bass and kind of got out of it, but uh, it got him. It's too bad. But uh, anyway, he you know we had a good thing going on there for a while, but that after the drugs and all that stuff happened, maybe that's when we tried to do another album that he had taken the drugs. But I, I don't know. Did you? It's all hazy back you then. You always planned on continuing your solo career, regardless of whatever whatever else you were. Yeah, doing. I mean, you know, I had too many songs. Yeah, it was just, a, just was it, it was impossible. a side project essentially. Plus, I'd already done. I think I already done. Everybody knows this is nowhere by then. I don't know how it all evolved, but. They all a, happened there, really it fast. feels like there was a stark change from your first solo stuff to to everybody like, knows which yeah you, with and, the or band. even after the gold rush is like really it feels like after the gold rush in some ways is the first neil young sounding record you know yeah. for for do you know what i'm saying yeah yeah how do you think that happened well i built a studio in my house in topanga and that's where we recorded after the gold rush before that, I was going into the studio and recording more, prof- more, more professional, professional. Kind of studios, I like see. kind of like from Buffalo Springfield type of thing. Yeah. And then when I got together with Crazy Horse, we practiced in the house in Topanga, but we went into Hyder's 
And that's when we played all those songs, and that was so much fun. Still remember looking at Ralph when we were doing Down by the River, and he was playing, and he just looked at me for a second, and he just shook his head, and he, looking up in the air. <laughs> and, uh, and, and he never likes to anybody to ever look at him. Don't ever look at Ralph. Stop. Don't look at me. He just wants to play. He doesn't want to make any contact. He yeah. just wants to be in the music. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. He's a great drummer. Amazing. Feel drummer. So, yeah. Feel. So it's, it's, it's all it is. Yeah. So it's Some sound. of these songs he stops playing. Yeah. But it works for the song. It's like a big fill. Yeah. There are no drums. Then yeah. he comes back in. Yeah. That's pretty wild. He really is a one-of-a-kind drummer. He really is. Yeah, and Billy is a one-of-a-kind bass player. Absolutely. And they groove together yeah. incredibly well. Yeah. Crazy. Billy is great. One note at a time. And each note is like a, a universe yeah. of soul and sound. Yeah, he definitely yeah. means it. Yes. He really means he it. He really Every note. Every note. Yeah. So in some ways, it sounds like the, the album you recorded at home, that sort of set the stage for, it seems like, most of what's happened since. It, yeah. It, even when you're in a professional place, yeah. you're still approaching it in this... Same way. Homemade, personal, not concerned with the uh, technically right way to do anything. No. That's what was so different about Harvest, because there was I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. I'd never met the musicians before. Elliot Mazur put that all together. Mm -hmm. And we went in the studio in Nashville. It was in a barn or in a studio? No, it was in Quadraphonic oh, in cool. uh, Nashville on 16th. Yeah, it was a house studio, with a, a house with a studio in it. Yeah. A lot of studios like that in Nashville. Great studio, really good sound. And uh, that was a lot of fun. Elliot Mazur did a great job. And, you know, so there were four or five, six songs recorded at that time. And then, but that was in the studio and we were sitting there playing like we were making a session. And for more th like the Springfield. But for, tho for those songs, you knew the songs at that point. I knew them really well. I was playing them on the road. Great. So you were playing them as a solo artist, yeah, like yeah. solo acoustic. Yeah. And the band had never heard them. No. And they started playing them right away. Yeah. They learned them real fast. Those guys were really good. Yeah. They were like great studio players from Nashville. And that was that was unique. And it sounds like that probably happened really fast if you knew the it songs did. well. It did. I knew the songs really well. As soon as they had the chart, they were playing what they played. Buttry, what a great drummer. Yeah. Amazing drummer. Tim Drummond, great bass player. Ben Keith. Ben played with me from that moment until when he died. Yeah. Made a lot of great records with Ben. I think there's that BBC concert that you did solo with those, those songs before you made the album. It seemed That's like right. it was before yeah. you made the album. Yeah, that was during the time of the album. If I remember correctly, one of the songs you played was not the whole, like it was a part of one of the songs that ended up being a full song on the album. I can't remember specifically. Yeah, but something like that. Uh, the timing of that, I'll have to check that out in the archives and see how it worked. But that's all part of the uh, Harvest 50th anniversary so cool. harvest time movie it's got all that stuff in it and when does that happen that's happening immediately really this is the 50th anniversary of harvest now probably the 51st i mean we're probably wow late. that's unbelievable i know well yeah it was 71 so this is 22 so explain the archive <laughs> uh -uh. that's a good one <laughs> 
you know, I collect things. <laughs> so, and I like the idea of things being in order. And then when I thought learned about a website, I thought, well, I could just put this all in a, build a file cabinet and put everything in the file cabinet like old school. And I just didn't, came up with all these ideas for how to do it. And it's the same system that any archival thing would be. It's just in a giant file cabinet, but each song has got its own index and cards and everything about the song is there. So, you know, it's chronological. Everything from the beginning to the end is all this time going by. And it's your personal archive, but it's accessible by everybody. Yeah. Anybody can go and look at it, check it out. If you want to listen to all my music in high res, I think you have to subscribe to do that. But it's all there, and it's, it's, I think it's nineteen ninety-five a year. I just don't want to charge for it, you know. I just, I just don't think. I, I just want it to be there. Yeah. And uh, I probably could make more money from it if I charged more, but I don't know. So far, so good. We've yeah, got like twenty five thousand subscribers. And people could listen to anything in in the same quality that they could hear it in the world for free. Yeah, better it's only you, yeah. You can only you're only paying to hear it in a way that you can't hear it anywhere else in a higher quality. Yeah, uh, or you can hear it in, on Amazon. Yeah, and you can hear it on Apple. And yep. you can hear it on Cobuzz. Yep. Those are the three high-res services. Yep. And Apple's not all high-res, but and they're not even like in that thing anymore like they were. Yeah. I don't know really what they're doing. But they do supply music, and you could get stream all kinds of stuff, and you can get it from them. So they sell my stuff high-res. Amazon does high-res. So anybody who does high-res, I'm there for them 100%. Yes. Because I think that's what the music, that's the only saving grace of digital is that it has high res, and we need that. We need it to sound good. We need it to sound as great as it can. We'll be right back with the rest of Rick Rubin's conversation with Neil Young after a quick break. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change, and certain restrictions may apply. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. 
Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase, NA member FDIC, 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. Brought to you by T-Mobile for Business. Now is the time for 5G business. These days, we have robots that do brain surgery. You can ask an AI chatbot to write your term paper. But yesterday, as I was driving fruitlessly around the parking lot of my local supermarket, all I could think was, why can't someone come up with a gizmo that just directs me to the nearest available parking spot. Well, it turns out that's just the kind of solution that T-Mobile for Business can come up with. From smarter cities to safer industrial workplaces, 5G can enable a better, more connected world. And T-Mobile for Business has the network built for the way business and tech converge today. Right now, workforces are more widely distributed than ever. Industries are ripe for disruption, and tech is advancing at a rate that requires vast and secure connectivity. Offering the nation's largest 5G network, T-Mobile is the best network partner to take your business to the next level. Now is the time to business bravely and start building your future today. Go to tmobile.com slash now to learn more. Here's the rest of Rick Rubin's conversation with Neil Young. Tell me about when you first heard, because you made a handful of albums in digital when digital first hit. Yeah. Do you remember what the first one was? It was around in the 80s. After Rust Never Sleeps, a few... Was Trans after that? Yeah, Trans was def- Trans was on the edge of that, 82. We recorded it on analog tape, and then we mixed it to analog. Trans is actually almost all analog, but it came out on CDs. You know, that was, was getting after. to be the end of vinyl. After that was everybody's rocking. Yeah, that was that was all digital. That was Mitsubishi thirty two track, you know, sixteen bit forty four one C D quality. And if you know, anytime you listen to that for very long loud, your head hurts. That's what I discovered because I always listen loud and long. And that's that's when I realized something was wrong. Mm-hmm. When did you switch back to recording analog? Probably in the 90s again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I started going back because I wanted to have the analog source. And then vinyl started making a comeback. Mm-hmm. Here's an idea. I got an idea. Let's go. Check this out. Vinyl very popular because people, when they hear good vinyl, they love it, right? So there's only one other way to get that. It's radio. Remember those old analog transmitters on top of the buildings in New York and Chicago and Cincinnati and Boston? Yeah. And they went far. Long way. Yeah. Analog. Yeah. So you could play a vinyl record on an analog radio station and you never went digital. And it would go to everywhere, everywhere that they had a radio that wasn't a digital radio. So you'd have to have an analog radio that can play, can pick up a digital station, but it's not a digital radio picking up a digital station. 
but that's could be the future of great sound yeah is radio yeah. am radio yeah. or fm yeah. whatever as long as it's analog yeah because it can be broadcast imagine vinyl quality you say how hard it is it to get vinyl but a radio station could send it to millions of people yeah and it's one step away it's one step away from being possible yeah that'd be cool it would be cool it would be cool the difference between playing what they play, what is it, MP3s most of the time on the yeah. radio? Yeah. At the best, it'd be a CD. Yeah. Which is not very good compared to analog. It's like really not good. And if that was coming through people's radios, but, you know, people are, they're, now they're, they're in this thing about, well, they, they, the car is digital, this is digital, that's digital. And you just don't realize how much gets lost. Digital loses it all, really a great amount. Like I'm looking out this window, I'm looking at a beautiful green lawn and a blue sky and beautiful trees, and all the detail of every little part of everything is all there. And if this was a digital picture, it'd be like there was a screen up. Yeah. And I was looking through each little hole in the screen. Yeah. But that's been averaged out to the dominant color in that hole. So instead of seeing a universe of color, when I move up and look through it, I get up to that thing and it's all like one shade of blue or one shade of green. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's why our bodies don't feel, that's yeah. why we don't feel the music yeah. like we used to, because it's not there. It's only a reconstitution of something that sounds like it for ones and zeros. But businessmen love the ones and zeros. Because they can say, well, the cheap stuff is less numbers. The most expensive and best stuff is the high numbers. So we'll only sell the good stuff to the people with the most money. You know, it's not really a common thing for everybody to have that. So basically, yet because of that thinking, yeah. the floor went to the bottom for quality in music. That happened about so 1985. Yeah, so the regular people get the low quality. Yeah. Feed. Instead of regular people used to get the high quality. Yeah. That was analog. Yeah. Everybody got the same thing. That was music. That's what happened. That's a sad thing. It's a sad. We're having a moment of silence. For the music? Yes. Yeah. There was a hi-fi store in Santa Monica that I would go to sometimes and listen to vinyl and it would frustrate me so much because it sounded so good there. <laughs> and it, and I decided I can't listen to vinyl because I spend all my time making music for other people to hear it and they don't have vinyl. And if that's my reference point, it's not achievable. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. it's not, it's a different animal. Yep. We had to start a radio station in LA, man, and broadcast all up and down the West Coast. That'd be great. Pirate station. Pirate station. Yeah, pirate analog. But you'd have to sell, people would have to make analog radios. Yeah, I wonder if anyone still makes them. They may. Someone they may. still may. They may. But I, I that's cool, the missing thing. Yeah, it's so I a, easy. I had a cool old car that had a AM tube radio in it. Oh, yeah. And then I wanted to listen to music I was working on, so I replaced it for a new super duper sound system. Never uh -oh. sounded as good. <laughs> it, it really never sounded as no. good. No, you got to get that other one back. Yeah, <laughs> that's what the world ought to do. That's a cool idea. 
It is a cool idea. Yeah. Radio could be the I future. I feel like we can do that. I mean, we can do it at very least for ourselves. Yes. Easy. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe we start there. Yeah. And then uh, maybe it grows. Yeah, Malibu Radio. You know, it's it's possible. Yeah. And you just you just play analog sources through this thing, and it sounds great. And people are going, why is my radio sounding so good? It's like I got a record player in here. That's pretty wild. And all the time I spent talking to people about this record, and I've done a few interviews, and some of them I did one with some guy, and it's supposed to be this big thing and everything, and he starts talking about Love Earth, and like it's the melody of Love Earth is actually, did you know it's Shaboom by the Crew Cuts? And he said it's the same changes and the same thing, and the whole idea of uh, uh, of the song and everything, and that's all he said about the music. And this is a guy, the big magazine that we do every year. That my management told me, oh yeah, they've heard this, they heard the record, they love it, and everything. And I'm talking to this guy; he has no idea what the <laughs> record is. After that, that's when I figured. I'm really doing some heavy screening on these people. I'm, you know, they're going to have to. Then I spoke to Edna Gunderson, yeah. who is great. Yeah. And she's from AARP. That's who yeah. she's interviewing for. Okay. So she's great. She's listened to every song. She, and she says to me, Neil, what happened to music? I remember about 1985, I stopped listening. I just didn't want to listen anymore. And I said, well, that uh, was CDs. That's when the digital revolution happened, right about then. Yeah. And she just looked, you know, she's, really? And I said, yeah. I mean, check the, go back and check the history. And, but she came out of nowhere with that date. Yeah. And she said, I don't know what happened to music. You know, I think the songs that we used to sing are the songs that we sing that are songs yes. that have emotion in them and everything about them is like, echo and all the stuff that we have that we the way we blended it the melodies the arrangement all of the melodic the content of the lyrics the feeling of the whole thing that requires playback of the recording that is deep it has a universe of sound in it so you can feel all the emotion now those old records that we loved were very emotional New records that are big hits are clever. Yeah. They're, they're not as emotional at all. They're yeah. clever and tricky. Yeah. And that's kind of where all of the stuff that's happening now lives. Yeah. So if you just listen to that kind of music, you're not going to hear the difference. So everything changed. It was interesting. When you yeah. look back at it and you can't figure out how it happened, I don't know how it happened, but I know what happened. There's even an argument that it sounded better before multitrack. Yeah. You know, like if you listen to Frank Sinatra recordings from yeah. the 50s, where it's him and an orchestra, and it's going down live. That's it. And it's it. That's it. There's nothing to change. There's no. nothing to mix. There's no... You can't do better it, than that. All it is is that. And there's something about it that yeah. just hangs together in a way that nothing else does. Yeah. Well, there's nothing between it and you. Yeah. It didn't have to be mixed. It was already mixed. And it went to one, to one big track, 
And maybe they recorded it four times and cut the tracks together to get a good beginning and a good end. Mm -hmm. But it was always one track. Mm -hmm. Then we went to three track and four track and started doing the same things, ping-ponging back and forth between two of the tracks, overdubbing and putting the chorus vocals and doing those kind of things. But it was still a basic track was on two of those. Then they'd mix to a two track or a, or a mono. Mm-hmm. So that was a generation away from what Frank did in the beginning, from the straight mono live. Oh, that's the greatest, that stuff. Yeah, there's something about the limitations of all of the information coming together right from the beginning, where the way that it's mixed isn't electronics. It's it's something else. It's it's real. <laughs> yeah. It's really what happened. It's really what they happened. Were, they might have mixed a few microphones up and down yeah. to get to that mono track. Yeah, but to that's make it sound like what it sounded like was. in the room, yeah. And maybe they only had three or four mics in the whole room at the most. Yeah. You know, because they had everybody stand in the right place. Okay, Frank, when you move in uh, one foot, because we need you a little louder, but stay on the right. Don't stand on the left because you're going to block the bass. That's the way it was mixed. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. that's pretty good. Yeah, that's I remember when, when we were doing some backup vocals, we'd be like, okay, Billy, take a step back. Yeah. Ralph, take a step forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just trying to get that balance yeah. with everybody singing on one mic. And yeah. it's like, okay, it's a little too much of the high voice. What's it like if we have a little more bass? And the next time, no, nope, too much bass. Let's go back. Yeah, move back. Yeah. And, and tiny moves, tiny moves. Yeah. But it all made a difference. Yeah, it did. I'm very, very proud of the of the vocals that we did. Somebody was listening to this record. I mean, somebody up in Canada that I played it for, and they said, "My God, the vocals! When these guys come in singing, they sound great. Who's singing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's so it? Who's singing? <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Okay, here's a good one. How do you connect to spirit? How do I connect to spirit? Yes. I try not to connect to spirit. Okay. I try to not do anything. If it's going to come, it's going to come. I just try to stay open. But I can't get it. You can't stand over a hole with a gun waiting for it to come out. Yeah. Spirit is there or it isn't. You've got to be in the right place at the right time. How would you say THC changes your relationship to music? It enables other things to get lost. So you're only in the music. After the session's over, you can't do anything for a while. But while the session's happening, you're living in the music. And it's not because you're not in the music when you're not high. It's just that because you're high, you can only focus on one thing. I see. It removes the distractions. It removes the distractions. You I can't, see. You, you know, that's what it does for me. Mm-hmm. And I and I enjoy it. So you get so into it and you enjoy it. You feel it. Yeah. Yeah, I imagine it's different for different people, like everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like meth is not good for getting into the spirit, I don't think. I would I would imagine meth and spirit not working harmonically. Well, we've seen so much good music being made with hallucinogenic influences. And then when the popular drugs shifted to more other kinds of drugs music wasn't as good no it's like the difference between the 60s and the 70s was different drugs mm-hmm. and you can kind of hear where it shifts yeah yeah you can cocaine had a big effect 
and then after that, as it, things rode on. But in the beginning, it's it's interesting to look at music that way, the way it's in, uh, developed over the decades. And I think we're, you know, we were lucky to be there because if you're just getting here now, you, you it's hard to pick up on it. You'd have to go back in time and check it out. Yeah, it almost feels like it's a different thing now. <laughs> you know, not, I don't again, know not, what it is. Yeah, but I'll say, I, I'll say it's not that it's bad. It's just different. Yeah, it's just different. And it really is different. Yeah. No, it's what people need now. It's what they, it's in the neighborhood that where people are accepting it, which is basically as wallpaper almost. I mean, it's like in the background. It's part of everything. There's so many other distractions. Music used to be the big thing. Now tech is the big thing. Mm-hmm. Tech is how you get involved. People are on their phones. They're just lost in the little box. And they so they don't have that time in their day where there's nothing to do but listen to music. Because as soon as they start listening to music, they get a call. Then they're on the online trying to figure out what that person on the call was talking about, Googling something to find out what it is. Yeah. When we think of folk music now, we think of it as music from the 60s. And, and those songs were old songs. Or songs from writers in New York, from writers yeah. that wrote pop songs and people would do them. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't like the singers of the songs were writing their own songs or the band was writing a song. You never did many cover. You did a few cover songs over the course of your yeah. your life, but not many. You did Four Strong Winds that I loved. Yeah. That was my, one of my favorite songs of all time. It's a beautiful song. It's a great song. Yeah. Ian and Sylvia. I used to uh, pour coins into a, a Nickelodeon and listen to that song over and over again by Ian and Sylvia, Four Strong Winds. That's how I... I got familiar with it, I think, in 62 or 63 or something. Loved that song. So that felt really good to do that one. Did you ever meet those guys, Ian and Sylvia? I've met Ian. Mm -hmm. And I've met Sylvia, too, but not for long, just Mm -hmm. very casual. And did you know Joni from Canada? Yeah. From coffee house scene? We met in the coffee houses. When I met her, she was with Chuck Mitchell. Chuck and Joni Mitchell was the name of the thing. Then she came back as Joni. And uh, I played Sugar Mountain for her uh, when I met her. I'd already been to Toronto and came back, and I met her, and I played Sugar Mountain for her. And then she uh, she later wrote Circle Game. Yeah, I love after, that song. After hearing Sugar Mountain as her as her conversation with me. Wow, I never knew that. Yeah, so cool. Yeah, Circle Game's a great song. Oh, it's a wonderful song. She's written so many great songs. I'm thinking of doing both sides now yeah. with uh, with Crazy Horse. Great. It would be a wild thing. Great. Yeah. yeah you could do a whole album of her songs. It'd be cool yeah, with Crazy yeah. Horse. I could do a bunch of songs like that with Crazy Horse. Yeah. That would be very cool. That's one musical thought that I did have. That's about it, though. Yeah. It's cool, too, with Crazy Horse. It wouldn't... It would not sound you know what i mean it would be such an original take (laughs) on whatever the material that went into it yeah Yeah. there's there'd be no fear of it uh being derivative in any way no i wouldn't be i wouldn't be stomping on the original arrangement no it'd be so different to be somewhere else but the same song the same melody same chords yeah it's a beautiful song and in those days did you think of elvis as a singer or as a movie star 
I always thought of him as a singer. I saw the movies. Yeah. You know, it was okay. But it was always the singing. Yeah. I mean, it was Elvis. He was great. We loved Elvis no matter what he did. Yeah. But as a singer and a rocker, he was cool. Did you have the same experience when you saw the Beatles of it being different than what came before? Well, the Beatles were great. When I first heard them, I think it was, you know, I can't even remember what song it was. Really early, 63 or something. And, uh... No, they were great. We loved them right away. It won't be long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I yeah. love that song. What a great song. That's such a great song. And, you know, they had a thing. They had a great thing, and they, they were rocking. They were having a good time. You couldn't miss it. Were you already singing folk songs at that time? No. I started singing r- rock and roll songs. First? Yeah, first. But most of them I wrote myself, you know, and they weren't like really hard rockers. A song called I Wonder, which turned out to be Don't Cry No Tears later yeah. on. That was one of the first songs. And I had a couple of, two or three other songs that I don't have copies of and I can't remember. Yeah. But they were there. I did them in the Squires. That was fun. Do you ever do gigs with the Squires? Not since then. No, but then, did you? Oh, yeah. No. We did about, we, we played community clubs all over Winnipeg. Oh, cool. You know, we got, I've got the records of it, I think, in the archives from Ken Koblenz. The bass player kept records of everything, all the places we played and how much we made. It's so cool. Yeah, like $4. Yeah. That's all in the archive? Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. It is crazy. I think it's all in there. How, how did you know to keep stuff? <laughs> I just never, uh, you know, I just keep track of who has stuff. And the, the bass player in the Squires, he kept track of everything. And he gave me the book. So I copied the book, and we have it. And I, I'll, I'll, I'll find it. I'll, yeah. It, basically, I'm pretty sure it's there. I just have to go back and look for it. Yeah. Like I was thinking the other day, somebody asked me about, uh, you know, he had a letter to the editor, which I answer these letters every week. And they wrote me about this thing uh, where I was at Falcon Lake in 1963 or 62 or something with my buddies. And we went to the dump. And we parked our car, and then uh, the bears all came out because it was a dump. So there's bears all around our car, and we're sitting there trying to be cool. And and then we left. Then I started thinking about Falcon Lake. Wow, Falcon Lake. Then I said, Jesus, Springfield did a song called Falcon Lake. It was an instrumental, and we recorded it, and we did it at Columbia. And it was about the time when uh, Stephen was doing something with, had known Buddy Miles and a few few people like it was uh, back there and i said i said uh falcon lake i geez i haven't heard that in a long time and so i checked in with our archivist and i said what do you guys know about falcon lake by buffalo springfield and they say well the next day i get it back it's it's called on in the archives it's called ash on the floor for some reason the title got changed but the original title was still in the in the writings and there is a recording of it, wow. and it's there. Incredible. So it's, you know, that Incredible. song is in the archives. It's probably in volume one, disc one, or disc two, or something, you know. Incredible. Yeah. Now, the fact that it all exists is so it, amazing. It is there. I, it, it's blowing my mind now. Yeah. Because I've been so thorough with it. Yeah. And I've got a great archivist, John O'Neill, our great. head archivist, and a really good uh, keeper of the tapes. Uh, who's really got a good good method of filing and 
keeping track of everything and and we keep a lot of our stuff in uh at hollywood vaults and all the backup for it is in oxnard somewhere just the volume of stuff over the years it's oh. it's unbelievable i was walking around in it yesterday yeah as we were looking for some stuff and i had this guy with me as a, a builder and uh He's working on my model train layout with me. That we're building this outdoor train layout. It's whack. So anyway, we're looking for some old pieces of train stuff. And we get in this one room. And it's a room that's about the size of Shangri-La almost. You know, this whole area. Mm-hmm. And it's full of boxes on shelves. Year after year after year of tapes. It's all there. Everything Amazing. that I recorded. Amazing. Yeah, it's, Amazing. it's wild. I mean, you know, so when you have a memory or something triggers something to go somewhere, if I remember that there was something good that I didn't finish or something, yeah. I can actually get to it. So cool. Has there ever been a time when you've worked on something and left it alone for whatever reason and then come back to it later, years later realizing, oh, there's something there? There is a song that was on the B-side of a Buffalo Springfield thing. I, it was, I don't know if it was a B-side or if it was... In the session for Expecting to Fly, there was a song called Whiskey Boot Hill, and there's another song, too. And uh, the track is there, but it has no vocal. So I keep thinking about that. Maybe I should put a vocal on it. Just to have it. <laughs> yeah, then it would be a complete song yeah. with the old original Jack Nietzsche track. Wow. And, so cool. And a vocal on it. And you remember the words and... Yeah. Yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah. It seems like it's cool to do regardless of whether you ever decide to put it out or not. Right. It's like that to be a good. No, it's good to have those things. Absolutely. I have another thing that where Daryl shot something. I was was playing uh, the guitar and I was playing uh, the changes to Don't Think Twice, It's All Right. And sitting on the bus and the bus is going down the road. And my silhouette is against the window, and outside these beautiful fields going by. And then every once in a while, the light changes, and you see me. And I'm playing the guitar a little bit, and then it goes back to outside. And it goes through the whole thing. And, you know, I've often thought, it's got a great vibe. If I just sang the lyrics on top of it, I wasn't singing it. If I just lightly sang the lyrics to Don't Think Twice, It's All Right. That would be my version of it, but it would be like a video version of Don't yeah. Think Twice, It's All Right. Cool. With, you know, and I think about doing it, and I know I could make it happen, but somebody asked me, well, what would you do with that? Where would that go? And I said, well, I, I really don't know what that, about that part of it. Yeah. But this is, you know, the creative idea part to of make it. Something this cool. is something yeah. I could do. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's the best way to make things. Yeah. And you get the feeling that's... Yeah, you make it to make it, and then if there's a use for it later, that's fine. (laughs) Well, this is a good idea, and I think I could do it. You know, I'll try to get the track together. What was the first film project you did, the first time you made a film? Journey Through the Past, I think, was the first movie that I made. And what motivated you to want to do that? I just wanted to do something different so I didn't get bored with music. I see. Or distract myself. Mm Mm-hmm. It was a big distraction. It's good. It, I need distractions. Yeah. Because I'm so, you know, single-minded. I just go into it. I, I could get lost. Yeah. And you so, do better being busy than not. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's bad things happen if I'm yeah, not busy. It's good to have projects. Yeah. So, so yeah. But I, I really think that uh, 
that's the way it works. I feel like uh, if I'm working on the train layout, yeah, you and did. I really get immersed in that for months, yeah, then I'll come out of that and I'll write. Yes, something will be fresh. Yes, but I have to get away to get back. Yes, you can't just always be there waiting. I got to be distracted by something. Yeah, that's great. It's great advice for people who think the way to do it is to just do the one thing. No. It doesn't work that way. No, it doesn't. you got to get away from it. Yeah. Because it'll come to you when it's ready. The thing, people think they're in charge. Yeah. You're not in charge. No. Just forget it. We're along for the ride. No, we are along for the, all we have to be is ready. Yes. Yes. That's, that's it. Yeah. Ready, recognize, do, finish out. Yeah. And then you're on And something. being ready is not easy. No. You got to be able to drop anything that's happening at any time and say, "I'll be back in a little while." Yeah, because there's something here that can there's something that can't yeah, wait. and and we don't have control over it. Mm-mm. And if we don't act on it, it we could it's forget it. Puff of smoke. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm sure we will get to be together again sooner than later. Yeah, because that's what we do. All right, man. Well, I'll see you soon. Thanks again to the legend, Neil Young. You can hear his new album, World Record, along with all of our favorite Neil Young songs on a playlist at brokenrecordpodcast.com. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash brokenrecordpodcast, where you can find all of our new episodes. You can follow us on Twitter at Broken Record. Broken Record is produced with help from Leah Rose, Jason Gambrell, Ben Holliday, Eric Sandler, Jennifer Sanchez, our editor, Sophie Crane, our executive producer is Mia LaBelle. Broken Record is a production of Pushkin Industries. If you love this show and others from Pushkin, consider subscribing to Pushkin Plus. Pushkin Plus is a podcast subscription that offers bonus content and uninterrupted ad-free listening for $4.99 a month. Look for Pushkin Plus on Apple Podcast subscriptions. And if you like our show, please remember to share, rate, and review us on your podcast app. Our theme music's by Kenny Beats. I'm Justin Richmond. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. This is your chance to reignite some old musical passions or pick up an instrument for the first time. Connect with more than 100 of the world's best teachers and musicians. You'll get seven days totally free to try it out. And then it's just $30 a month, less than a single private lesson. I mean, why do we do Broken Record? 
not just because we love hearing from great musicians. We do it because we think that there is something beautiful about the appreciation of music. Don't you think we need more of that in our lives these days? That's the mission of Musora, to inspire, educate, and connect musicians. Enjoy unlimited personal support, weekly live streams, student lesson plans. It's like having a personal music teacher, only much, much better. Just go to musora.com, M-U-S-O-R-A.com, to start a new musical journey today.